0: Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Josh from Who Scored and my hero, Jonathan Wilson, with Todd Bowley saying earlier in the week that there should be a Premier League All-Star game. Josh, you've compiled a team, or two teams, yeah, North uh, v South.
1: North v South. Um, as we were just saying, off there, the Midlands is a bit of a grey gray area, but thankfully none of the players are good enough to even be in the team, so sort of skirted around that. Um, There's literally not one team in the Midlands
0: that's any good at the moment, except for like Mansfield.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure they would be getting to these teams, but yeah, so I'm not even sure that these are the sort of teams that um, Todd Bowley had in mind, to be honest. But we've used it based on who scored ratings in the Premier League this season. I'll start with the North. We've got Nick Pope in goal, um, and then we've got a back four of Kieran Trippier, uh, Fabian Shah, Pascal Struick of Leeds, and Jao Cancelo at left back. Um the midfield four is uh, Mohamed Salah, who obviously has been a bit under, well, very under par for his usual standards, um, and his rating is the lowest of all of the forward players. But he, surprisingly, actually, he's been the most creative player in Europe's top five leagues, which was a bit of a surprise. Most key passes, um, and then in midfield we've got Jolington and Kevin De Bruyne and Alan St. Maximin, and then up front we've got Erling Haaland joined by Roberto Firmino, who's propped up by a couple of really strong games that he had earlier in the season. And then the team of the South, uh, there's only two Chelsea players, so Todd Burley might not be too impressed with that. But we've got Bern Leno in goal, uh, Rhys James at right back, Joachim Anderson and Thiago Silva as the centre-backs, uh, Zinchenko at left back, and into midfield, we've got Wolf Sahar, Odegaard, Hoyberg, and Martinelli. Then up front, we've got Ivan Tony, who we'll come on to shortly, and Alexander Mitrovic. Uh, yeah, so probably never going to, well, definitely never going to see those teams play. Um, probably never going to see the All-Star game either.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the likes of Fabian Shah weren't who Todd Burley had, had in mind. He said, I hope the Premier League takes a little bit of a lesson from American sports and really starts to figure out why there isn't an All-Star game. Jonathan, have you figured out why there isn't one?
2: Yeah, because it's nonsense.
0: <laughs> I thought you might It's just, say a, that.
2: just a stupid idea by a man who increasingly becomes clear has no idea how football works. I mean, quite apart from the practicalities of it, when you'd fit it in the calendar, the fact nobody would care about it, it'd be played at half pace because nobody want to get injured. The fact that players wouldn't, yeah, you know, teams wouldn't want to give up their players to it. You just can't go and pick 11 players. That's not how football is. The team works. The team is what matters in football. So in, in US sports where they're much more individualistic, where you have, you know, you, you need your first base bloke, you need your second base bloke. Yeah, you're okay. You go and pick the first baseman and he doesn't necessarily have a huge impact on the players around him. In football, you've got to pick a back four that will work together. You've got to pick a midfield that will work together. You've got to pick a midfield that will work with that defence. Yeah, the, the, the level of quality if you put this game on, just eleven blokes who've never met each other, would be disgusting. It just would be terrible. It'd be an awful spectacle. And this would, if I if I was a Chelsea fan, this would really worry me. Yeah, if it's the kind of thing that the Todd Booley was was WhatsApping to Thomas Tuchel, no wonder he got crotchety. Like I, I'm crotchety having to talk about this now, and I'm getting paid. for I suppose Thomas Tuchel is getting paid for it. To be fair, <laughs> I, I, and I suspect rather more than I'm getting. But, nah, be close, be close. Yeah, you know, it just shows a complete lack of understanding of of how to put a football team together, and, and I think that's that was the worry all the way through that Bully... Yeah, you know, he he buys big names. That, that's that's what he's done at his his um, US franchises. And yeah, you know, him trying to sign Ronaldo and being told by that that just doesn't work because he doesn't press. He you know he he seems to have no understanding that a famous bloke who's good at one aspect of a game or used to be good at one aspect of a game doesn't necessarily fit the system of, of a manager. So it, it's just a a complete lack of yeah, just a failure to understand football on a. Practical level and a conceptual level, and and as, as I say, as a Chelsea fan, that would terrify me.
0: Josh, you should probably plug these who scored ratings to this this concept to Todd Body because he'll probably pay who scored a hell of a lot of money to to put these two teams together. I, w- I would imagine it's really cool, isn't it, when people come over who are new to the game and make suggestions <laughs> like this.
1: Yeah, uh, um, he might listen entertain the idea that we've got ratings, but then he probably would be a bit confused by the players that we've just given him. Uh, <laughs> We probably would shut the door quite quickly on that. I think if there was to be any sort of like fantasy games, I think I'd rather just see like a five-a-side tournament. I think that would be more entertaining than watching them playing a game that they don't really want to play and on an eleven-a-side pitch. But yeah, I imagine that this isn't something. I don't know. Maybe it will replace the Community Shield. I don't know, but I, I doubt. I doubt this will ever happen.
2: But why would you do that? Well, yeah, pretty much every country in the world has a super cup equivalent. I mean, I'm no great fan of a Community Shield. Yeah, I I, I I watch it because it's normal, you know it's coming after a month when I've been able to watch football, but it never you know Liverpool battered Man City in that game this year, and like look at where they are now. It mm-hmm. tells you nothing. It's a pointless game anyway because it's a game people don't want to play in. But at least those are teams who play together regularly and and they can use it as a training exercise rather than just you know, random collection of blokes being dumped together.
1: I think yeah. what's so good about the the NBA's version as well is, well, it's not great, but what is entertaining is that they do like loads of, they do things you don't normally see on a basketball court very often. But I just don't see where that would come into football. It's not like they can just do like a slam dunk con- contest equivalent in the Premier League. Crossbar no, challenge. <laughs> Crossbar challenge, yeah. yeah.
2: But that would actually make more sense. I mean, it'd still be terrible. I still wouldn't watch it and I'd still be <laughs> appalled by it. But having, you know, skills contests, so, you know, like the Rumble or Sprint Challenge or, or that thing to see you had the longest throw or, yeah, trying to hit the bar from the edge of a D or whatever, at, at least that would sort of... You know, those too. are in, in, they'd be individual things that watching individuals make sense. But football's about the team. It's about the team unit. It's not about the individuals. And I, I think it's a it's, you know, this is the fascinating tension at the top level of the sport, you've got all these rich idiots who own clubs who don't get that. And then you've got the, the poor coaches who are trying to explain this to them. Um, and, and, you know, in, in many cases getting no, and that's why city is so dominant because they have a, a board who seems to understand what Guardiola is doing and why Liverpool up until yeah you know, recently have been so good that they have a board that understands
0: that you need a, a structure that functions, not just loads of famous people. Well, we've said that something's nonsense and then we've spent 10 minutes talking about it, so we should probably move on to the Premier League weekend. A few games have fallen by the way, so, but we do have some Premier League football this weekend. The first game that we're going to look at is Brentford against Arsenal. And Jonathan, the England squad's announced later on in the week, we're recording Wednesday morning, so England squad is Thursday, I think. Ivan Toner, could he have done any more to get in? Should he be in, in your opinion? Yeah, I think he should be in. Um, I mean, he scored, what, five goals this season? I think the quality of
2: um, of this hat trick against Leeds, and okay, a penalty, but yeah, you know, being able to take a penalty well is a is a big thing in national football. But the free kick and then the third goal were were, were sensational goals. I think his holder plays really good. I think last season, you know, a lot was made of how Brentford improved when Christian Eriksen came into the side. Well, Christian Eriksen's debut was also the day that Ivan Tony came back from injury, so those two things went together. And I'm not saying Eriksen wasn't important, but Tony's return was also important. Um, and so, as, as Harry Kane's back up, I'm not really sure who the other candidates are. Tammy Abraham, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think he's, he's only scored once so far this season for Roma. That's not necessarily a guy, well he's playing. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's it's not that he's posting massive numbers to, to knock down the door. Um, but you look at people like Ollie Watkins, Callum Wilson, Dominic Albert-Lewin, Patrick Bamford, they're either out of form or, or, or uh, struggling with injuries. So, I, I think, really, if you're looking for a for, for, for Kane's backup it's got to be Tony Abraham at the minute and maybe I'm saying this because I see much more of the Premier League they're going to do with Serie a, but Tony would seem to me the
1: the man in form right now it's a funny position isn't it being being the striker because obviously Harry Kane, in competition football Harry Kane's going to play every single game maybe rested for the final group game of England or through already but it's a fun it's a funny position where it probably in in for most of the it doesn't really matter who that striker is but on merit you'd have to say it, Ivan Tony, it has to be him. I mean, he can't do much more. Like Jonathan said, the two of the goals he scored against Leeds were just unbelievable. And it's been and he's just he sort of developed into such a well-rounded striker now at Brentford. Um and like this is off off topic, but I would love to see Manchester United sign him at the end of the season. I think he could play that Sebastian Haller role that Ten Hag had at Ajax really well. But so I'd like to see that sort of happen at the end of the season. But just in England, um I looked into the Who Score ratings again to see who the best sort of the best rated at 11 was and see if Tony come into it. And Tony is actually the best rated English player in Europe's top five leagues this season. Um, And I'll just run through the team in general uh, ahead of tomorrow's squad announcements. We've got Nick Pope in goal. He edges out Pickford by just 0.01 rating points. So nothing really to split them, Uh, but Pickford's going to be injured anyway. So Nick Pope has a chance to maybe put a stake down down to play. Uh, The defence is interesting. We've gone for a 3-5-2 formation, I should say. I think Southgate may well revert back to that after a pretty difficult last international period of matches. Um, The defence is interesting. We won't get too bogged down by the players and stuff, but we've got Rhys James as the third centre-back, and then we've got actually got Chris Smalling and James Tarkovsky in there, two players that definitely won't be on the radar, I imagine, or maybe Smalling, but I think that just sort of sums up the problems for England at the back at the moment. You've got Stones, who Guardiola said isn't even reliable to stay fit anymore. Um, Harry Maguire obviously isn't playing for his club. Joe Gomez has had a really tough start to the season. Um, so there's obviously problems there. Eric Dier could come back into it, as we'll discuss later on in the show, about his sort of recent form. Uh, and then in, into the midfield, I've sort of left back is another issue because Luke Shaw and Chilwell aren't playing. So we've got Trippier there. Um, and then that's opened up the right-hand side. And we've put uh, Bakaya Sacco as the right wing-back, which he hasn't played that position for a while, but he has in the past. So I'm going to accept that. Um, and then central midfield, we've got Jude Bellingham and James Ward-Prowse. Uh, again Declan Rice is a bit of a slow start to the season henderson hasn't been great so maybe we don't have the depth there that we, we it seemed like we did a, a, a year or so ago uh, and then we've got phil foden playing behind harry kane and Ivan tony so yeah based on form tony is the the top rated english player and would get would actually if there's only be one striker then he would actually pip kane to that spot but obviously kane's the captain and more we'll, always play but yeah Tony definitely an England's squad in my mind but we'll see I guess tomorrow if that that comes true.
0: Jonathan the back five talk, talk to me through that that back five can we at least put Saka and Trippier the other way around in in, in the back five?
1: Yeah you could yeah that's fine uh, yeah that's fine but I, I just think that it just like obviously the defence isn't ideal with Smalling and Tarkovsky but I do think that sort of accurately reflects the problem that Southgate has at the moment in that his, his like go-to centre-backs are even not playing well or not fit so Hmm. Not the not the defence I would like, but I think it does accurately reflect the sort of the problems at the moment. Thoughts, Jonathan? Yeah, I
2: mean, I, I think you're right. I think he will go back to a back three. I would assume it'll be Walker and Trippier uh, as the as the wing backs. Uh, I then think yeah, Reece James is is playing well. It's, is is uh, that's fine on the right side of the three. Uh, Eric Dyer, I think, is playing really well. Looks uh, reborn under Conte, and I always thought he's one of those players who. It was easy for people to pick on him. I, d- I never thought he, his form dropped off that far. So he plays in the middle. And then I, I guess Maguire carries on on the left. And, and what you can say is that no matter how badly he's been playing for Manchester United, with the exception of that game against Denmark when he got sent off, which is shortly after his arrest and everything, um, he's always been okay for England. I think in a back three, he he probably enjoys that a bit more. that um, He... What he's still good at is winning headers. And he's actually quite good at bringing the ball out and using his left foot. So um, having Eric Dyer controlling him and directing him, I, I, I think that's fine. So the, obviously there's concerns. Though. I think there's always been concerns about the the, the heart of the defence. I, I don't think that as a three looks
0: looks that bad at the moment. I'm not that worried by it. Let's go back to Ivan Tony then because... Jonathan, it doesn't feel a very Southgate thing to do, to have someone come into a squad in September and then with the World Cup squad being announced in November. That doesn't feel like a, a long enough turnaround for Gareth Southgate to have someone in, the, in his squad for a tournament for me. I could be wrong, but that's just the impression I get.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think ideally he wouldn't have done that, but ideally he wouldn't have a World Cup in November. I mean, that, that, that's what's caused the problem. Mm. Uh, I, I just, because there's no other candidates... Um, yeah, I'm sure he you know, he would he would love it if Ollie Watkins was playing brilliantly and he could just carry on with that, but but he's not. So, uh, and if he doesn't pick Tony here, I just think it looks really weird. And then you end up maybe bringing him into the World Cup having having not tested him, yeah. not tried him. So I think there's also a question of how many sort out and out strikers do you take in 26 man squad? Do you, do you take three uh, because that means you you have the option to go two proper strikers plus a reserve. One of them gets injured. You know, for, for maybe, you know, if you're 1 0 down with 20 minutes to go and you want to just sort of lump it a bit longer, uh, I, I, I don't know, or, or do you think, well, yeah, you know, Sterling can cover there, um, Foden can play as a, as a false nine? Um, I think my temptation would be to take the three just because, you know, if so, say, two of them get injured, then then you really do have, I think, big problems with a lack of a focal point if you haven't spent years or or months practicing with a a false nine. So I I suspect with with it being 26 in the squad, I think probably Kane, Tony and Abraham will go. Now, obviously, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets back to fitness and starts scoring loads of goals, maybe that begins to change near the World Cup. But at the the moment, that would seem reasonable to me. And then I think, you know, you've got to give Tony... um, yeah, probably a start in one of these games or, or at the very least sort of lengthy runouts just to see if he works in a system where, you know, I, th- I think the England striker's role is is not straightforward, that it's not just about sticking the number nine up there because the way Kane plays is so distinctive for the way he drops deep and then you need people like Sterling running beyond him or, or perhaps James Sancho running beyond him. If that is the way that they're going to play, and it it, it it has to be with Kane, you probably want to make sure that that the the backup team can also play that way.
0: You know, I'm just thinking back to the Euros, and he took Kane, Calvert Lewin, and then I guess Rashford was the kind of the third striker in that, which you could see happening again. So if, if Southgate goes with the same kind of balance as he did in that 26 man squad for the Euros, I don't think Tony will get in, but I I really think he should be in the squad. At the at the moment, if I was picking a World Cup squad now, he'd be in mine. But I'm just thinking maybe, of Gareth the, Southgate. Penalty, sorry, go on. Right. No, I'm just thinking of Gareth Southgate, and I feel like he's more likely to go Kane and Tammy because they've been around the squad for for however many however many years since the Euros was on, and then also. You know Rashford's back in form now, so it feels like an easier Southgate thing to put Rashford in. Who, when you say he's back in form, he's scored. Yeah, he's, goals. he's had a
2: couple of decent games. Yeah, I mean, I still think Rashford's position is really. You, you're right. Rashford could go, could be that third striker, and he gives the option of coming in off a left as well. That just feels can, more
0: Southgate and, to me, and he can fill in at right back as he did in the last three minutes <laughs> of the Euros final, slightly weirdly. And that is that's, that's what we want from everyone in the England squad. Can you do a duration at right back? If you can, you've probably got a chance of, of getting in. What were you going to say, Josh?
1: maybe that i was just gonna say like as you said at the start maybe the, the fact that tony has does does have that superb penalty r- record maybe that might give him an edge over some of the others but yeah i do agree that it it does it would feel a bit unlike southgate to do it but hopefully that, that given the unique circumstances hopefully he he does sort of look at tony
0: He'll be he'll be in this squad. I think Tammy Abraham's got a shoulder problem as well. So I think he's a doubt, a doubt for the squad at the, at the time of filming. So I think he'll be in this squad. But I have doubts over whether he he would make it to the to the full squad for the World Cup. Because I just don't think he'll get enough time in, the, in these two games to, to prove himself. And it just feels not, not very Southgate-like at all. But Brentford going well, Josh. They've shown a lot of resilience so far this season. Spent a lot of time behind in games and have always managed to get back in and, and pick up points. So been a positive start for Brentford, that Ericsson loss hasn't really curtailed them. they still feel like they've got that bit of momentum and team spirit.
1: Yeah, I think the one disappointment for them is that they followed up that 4-0 win over Manchester United with defeat to Fulham in the next game. Um, and I think that will be, that's sort of where they are at, I guess, or many teams like that, is the, it's the consistency that they struggle with to follow those highs with another great result. Um, and obviously last time they gave, obviously last weekend was cancelled, but before that they had that massive win over Leeds, um, so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of respond here, and and it was in this game last season, the very first game of the season, where they really battered Arsenal. So, but obviously Arsenal much improved since then. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of pans out I do think it will be a really entertaining game
0: Martinelli's having a good time on the left-hand side Saka a little bit quiet for his very high standards Jonathan on on the right but Martinelli not not in the Brazil squad they must have some side going on at the moment if Martinelli and Jesus aren't, aren't getting in there but how impressed have you been by Martinelli's start again he's probably picked up where he left off at the back end of last season
2: yeah I mean I think we've always known he's got talent it's just sort of performing it consistently not not uh not getting injured, so the fact he's had a run where he has been fit, I think the way they play suits him. That that he's he's probably got a bit more license to to run beyond uh, Gabriel Jesus than, than Saka does. I think he maybe catches the eye a bit more. Um, I think he's he's one of those slightly odd players that I, 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 I this this keeps happening and it shouldn't, but I keep on being surprised by how tall he is. He just he, he doesn't feel like he should be as tall as he is, and that makes him a threat in the air as well. So. Um, I, th- I, th- I, th- I mean, I think it's it's harsh on Saka to say he hasn't really caught the eye. I think that,
0: that whole front four, if you include... Oliver, I'm just uh, reading the script, just reading the script from Josh.
2: Yeah, I, I, well, I didn't agree with it when I read the script. Oh, what is this nonsense? Poor Dan happened to read out this. <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, but yeah, I think that front four has worked really well together. And and the fact that, you know, Smith-Rowe's been injured and haven't really noticed, uh, I think is, you know, tells you how well that that, that, that group of players is playing together.
0: Yeah. How tall are you, Jonathan? Five foot ten. Five foot ten. I always had you down as taller. Yeah, you, a, lot
2: of, a lot of people think I've got a slight stoop, which paradoxically makes me look taller than I am. Okay.
0: Josh, yeah? Uh, six foot four. Six foot four. I said, you down as smaller. What is this? Uh, no, I it's always it's get it's when okay. people meet me, they always say I'm like a lot taller than they thought I was going to be. I'm six one. Josh, six four. Giant. Towering Have you both. I would have said uh, my guess for Jonathan would have been about six three. I don't know this is the magnitude of the man, the stature of the man yeah, within the game. That. I just expected him to be tall.
2: So it's like that yeah. sketch with uh, John Cleese, Ronnie Barker, Ronnie Corbett, and I'm a Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> no,
0: you're not that small. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're not Ronnie <laughs> Corbett height. Ronnie Corbett wasn't five foot ten. No, he wasn't. He was yeah, he or was he about five five, something
0: like that? I don't know factually how tall he was, but he was definitely was <laughs> he was smaller than five foot ten, I'm gonna say.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, he was, but you know the sketch I mean. The uh I know who all
0: three of the people are that you're talking about.
2: (laughs) It's a a, a classic sketch about I'll have a look after this.
0: Josh, you've got to obviously defend your bit that you put in the script there, but you've got a reason why you think that that Martinelli's doing so well.
1: I think that it's also, also the fact that he's started all the games, but I think the impact that Gabriel Jesus has made in that sort of side, I think it has really sort of brought more out of him. I think before they had Lacazette, who would, sort of drop deep, but sort of drop deep centrally, whereas Gabriel Jesus is sort of going everywhere. He's peeling off to the wing, he's, he's dropping deep, and that and those sort of spaces is allowing Martinelli, who previously was always quite like a high and wide sort of winger, always like used to quite um, hug the, the sidelines. And I think as an opposition team, you'd prefer him to be over there, away, away from goal. But now he's sort of come into those central spaces where Jesus is peeling off to his position. And I think you sort of saw that in practice against Manchester United when they had that goal that was disallowed. I mean, it was, the circumstances were a bit different because Manchester United got robbed of the ball when they were out of position, but it was Jesus was out on the right when they received the ball and and Martinelli sort of ran through the middle through that open space. It was obviously disallowed, but I think that's what you sort of saw that in practice. But yeah, Martinelli and Jesus, they're Arsenal's two top rated players in the the Premier League this season. I think Saka's fifth, Um, so he's obviously still had a good season, but I do think, Many people probably thought that it would be Saka scoring all most of the goals uh, this season right, over Martinelli, but Martinelli has obviously sort of done that so far. But yeah, I just thought it's, it's it'd been an interesting change for him from going from being quite a high and wide winger to someone that's now playing century. And I do think that Gabriel Jesus has had a lot to do with that with the sort of his natural movement.
0: Well, let's have our score predictions then, Jonathan. I'll come to you first. Brentford v Arsenal, score prediction, please. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Josh, six foot one four. On for 2-2 all. To all, I was going to go for 2-1 to Arsenal. Be a big win. They don't need to bounce back because they've had such a good start anyway for Arsenal. But I think it would be a good show of resilience after the Manchester United game if they went to Brentford, which is a really hard place to go and play. Somewhere where they had a terrible time that last season. If they could go there and win, I think that would be absolutely huge for Arsenal and and how they would feel about their season. Let's look now at Tottenham v Leicester, and we're going to start Josh by talking about Eric Dyer's resurgence under Antonio Conte.
1: Yeah, I mean the timing's not great because last night I don't know if anyone saw the Marcus Edwards his that sort of messy like run he had from the halfway line where he sort of um, destroyed Eric Dyer twice but apart from that I think Eric Dyer's had a really consistent season and I think in general I think since Conte came in he's been really really consistent uh, I guess Conte sort of came in at the ideal time Dyer had sort of like a really poor run in terms of just like weird injuries he was picking up injuries that weren't really football related he had tonsillitis appendicitis sort of things like that that kept him sidelined for a while and then obviously he had that instant where he climbed into the he climbed into the crowd lost his England place. It was a bit of a weird, sort of weird time for him. But I think Conte, who does place such an emphasis on having such an organised defence um, and actually being able to to do that, because obviously Mourinho puts a lot of emphasis on that as well, but this version of Mourinho isn't sort of capable of sort of executing it. But Conte obviously is. And I think he's even said that Eric Dyer can become one of the best players in the world in that sort of um, middle position in a back three because he has those leadership qualities and he technically he's he is sound because he obviously used to play in midfield or can play in midfield um so I do just think there's been a like a, a real level of consistency shown from Eric Dyer, um which is really a hallmark of what Conte's done with players who he's either ele- he's basically elevated a lot of players to a level where maybe we didn't think was possible if you think of Victor Moses and Jacarini, and I'm not putting Eric Dyer into that sort of category of player but he certainly has made him way more consistent and I think I looked into sort of the with without um, record with Eric Dyer in the Premier League under Antonio Conte, and Tottenham have a win ratio of 64% in the Premier League when he has started, um, and he's only missed three games uh, from the start. Eric Dyer, but Tottenham have lost both uh, two of those um, goals per game. Goals conceded per game is just 0.7 when Eric Dyer starts compared to 2.2, 2.33. Sorry, when he doesn't start. Um, so yeah, I don't think. I think people probably thought that Eric Dyer's England career was sort of over probably even six months ago, to be honest. But I think now, yeah, he, he like, as we said at the top of the show, where there is a lot of problems with some of England's centre-backs at the moment, Eric Dyer does have a really good chance, I think, of, of getting into the squad tomorrow.
0: A huge player for Tottenham, Jonathan. I guess the biggest thing for them is if anything were to happen to Eric Dyer... There's no one of the same ilk really to come in and play in the middle of that back three. So Eric Dye is arguably actually one of Tottenham's most important players.
2: You look at something like Romero, who who sort of does have leadership qualities, but in a different way. He's, he's not an organiser. He's sort of the the attack dog you send out to, to win the ball in midfield. Or you look at Davinson Sanchez, who I think's actually, after a pretty ropey spell last season, has, has started to look decent again. So, yeah, I... I the, the, you, I mean, yeah, what you said is true. There is nobody else in the Tottenham squad like him and therefore he's very important.
0: Yeah, if anything were to happen to him, like like you said, the defenders you've just mentioned, they, they're good defenders, but to be playing in the middle of that back three, you have to be a very specific type, type of player and Dier probably offers most things that, that you need. I think he's probably a bit quicker than he gets credit for as as well. Eric Dyer. I think everyone looks at him as being quite quite lumbersome and quite slow, but I actually don't think he is that slow and his distribution out from the back as Josh touched on, is excellent. Let's look a little bit at Leicester then. Bad season so far, bad transfer window, bad everything. Everyone's unhappy. Rogers is unhappy. The fans are unhappy. It looks like the players are unhappy. They're all arguing with each other. A little bit of a crisis at Leicester, Jonathan. Is this something that will damage Rogers' reputation or will he kind of get away with it because the club's such a mess anyway and he's got credit in the bank as a manager?
2: Look, if it's true that he wants to get out like, and, you know, and if it's true that he has sort of been trying to negotiate a payoff, then I completely get that from his point of view. In terms of protecting his reputation, that if you leave early in the season, it can be portrayed as oh well, yeah, you know, what could he do? They'd lost Schmeichel, Vardy was coming to the end. There was no reinvestment. They lost Fafana. You know, it was, a, it was a terrible position to be in. If if he lingers and the season carries on being as bad as it is, I think that does damage him. Um, you know if if you're a manager who's ter- you know appearing on television every week trying to explain away another defeat. Um, if people start, so well, hang on, this issue of not being able to defend corners, how has he not put that right in two years? It doesn't really matter how, you know, how good your defenders are. You should be able to organize them better than that. Then, then I think that does raise, raise questions. I, I think that probably is what's, yeah. yeah. If it is true, he's trying to get out what, what's behind that. However, you know, on the other hand, if he, if he sort of turns this around and gets them up to 13th say then I think you'd say, well, yeah, that's a that's a brilliant job he's done. And that this squad really it, it, all else being equal, if, if morale was good, probably should be good enough to to to, to finish sort of two thirds of the
1: way down the table. On one hand, you do have that sympathy for Rogers because of the of the summer that they've had, um, which I guess isn't necessarily his fault. And but then on the other hand you think maybe they wouldn't be in that position had they not sort of cut, like bombed out of top four contention two years in a row. Um, which I guess you could say that they were overachieving to be in that position in the first place. But then once you're in that position and it's so favourable for you to finish in the top four, to then miss out, I don't think you can necessarily just overlook that as oh you you sort of you were, you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. So on that hand, then I don't feel sympathy for Rogers. And then, like Jonathan said, it when you sort of um, take away all all the noise, they do still actually have a really good starting eleven, a lot better than some of the other teams around them. So and that's. And the idea was that once the transfer window shut, then all the players would focus, would refocus, sorry, and they would just get on with it again. But they lost their next game five-two to Brighton, so, and that was after the window shut. So we'll we'll have to see. But I do think the longer he does stay there, and if things don't improve, then it will be damaging because it wasn't long ago he was linked as Solskjaer's replacement. It was, it even um, when Tuchel was sacked, he was briefly linked as a sort of as an idea, an alternative for Chelsea and he's obviously regularly been sort of touted as guardiola's long-term successor at city but i think those go go away if he no i imagine they have certainly gone away now but they would definitely not be in the sort of pipeline if he stays at Leicester for a while and if it is the fact that he's not leaving because he knows he's got that huge sort of payout to come then i don't think you can have any sympathy for him if he sticks around for as long as it takes but yes yeah, it's, it's just such a difficult one for, for especially for leicester fans i mean they have they've lost Kasper Schmeichel. I think they've, basically, they lost the players they probably wouldn't, they would rather have not. And they've kept the players that they probably needed to move on. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, very difficult. And I think, you've, you've seen it, um, Pochettino at PSG, his reputation has, has sort of gone down. He's struggling to sort of be linked with these sort of jobs now. And he was at PSG. So, I imagine the same sort of thing will happen with Rodgers at Leicester.
2: But it does show how quickly reputation's change. That, say, Chelsea had sacked Tuchel at the end of last season, if Todd Bowley had said, "Right, clean slate, starting again, putting in my own man," who would have been higher on the shortlist? Graham Potter or Brendan Rodgers?
0: Hmm. Fair.
2: Almost certainly Rodgers. Yeah. And now, what? Six games later, five games later, suddenly, yeah.
0: Well, obviously, it's Potter. When you put it like that, that's really weird, isn't it? That's like, yeah. Yes, it? it is. That's why I said it. Yeah, that's, that's a really, a really valid point. It's so valid; it's killed the podcast. No one knows how to react after the back of it. You, Josh, you say about Rogers and the the payout, but then it probably works both ways because Leicester probably have wanted to sack him, but they won't because they don't want to pay the money. So it probably yeah, does work but, work both ways in yeah. in, in some respects. But the goal—I mean, Schmeichel was on the decline. But he's still a very good goalkeeper. Danny Ward nowhere near the standard of Casper Schmeichel, and has looked so so shaky trying to replace him so far this season. They've lost Fafana. He's been replaced with Val's face. I can't even say his name. I can't remember his name. That That's how well-known he is. You know, he might go on to be a very good player, but that doesn't seem like a an adequate replacement. They've got Tillemans who wants to go in midfield, but they're really kind of forced to play him at, at the moment. The players are, are fighting on the pitch. They don't look happy. You know, everything is is just a mess. Are they going to get a result at Spurs on, on the weekend?
1: Well, I thought initially I was going to predict this as 3-0 to Tottenham. Cause this should be a game where they're there for the taking but tottenham are just a really weird side as well they they just haven't as we've said numerous times on this podcast that they've they just look so lethargic and just so poor so i'm not confident in that either but i would be surprised if they didn't win so i'm going to go for a 1-0 tottenham win
0: i am going to go 3-0 to tottenham just because you were going to do it and now for feel lot like because you were going to do it it could be something i could take advantage of so I'm, i am going to go 3-0 tottenham jonathan Two oh, split, split the difference. So yeah, thought you, <laughs> the sensible way. To, the sensible way to play this game, even though we don't know what the lead table is or anything, because Josh won't tell us. Have we got it, Josh. No,
1: it'll be after the international break. I just wanted it there it's to it. be a nice, nice uh, sample size for us to bring it back.
0: Yeah, Martin used to do it weekly, didn't he? But you know, Martin's not here anymore. You're a new man, new man at the helm. You got to, you trying to put your own stamp on things, I guess. Yeah, that's it, exactly yeah. that. Fair enough. Then let's look at Wolves against Manchester City. Diego Costa, Jonathan. Well, I'm not sure about this. I'm really not sure about it at all. He's joined Wolves. How do you feel about this one?
2: Well, I'm fascinated. Fascinated to see what he does. Uh, I, I mean, uh, yeah, as a neutral, he's just somebody who's kind of quite amusing to watch. Uh, I hope he's still as angry as he used to be. It would disappoint me if, if Probably age. Probably be sort of him Well, hopefully. I mean, that's great. But he's only started 19 games in the last 20 months, which is, I'd say, that's non-ideal. <laughs> But I, I do understand why Wolves want somebody, want a focal point, and that's obviously why they brought in Kaladzic. Um, and the yeah, the ACL injury you know, is is, is an incredibly bad luck, and yeah, you know, he's six foot seven. Um, but I, I think um, uh, Jimenez has not been the same sort of player that he was before the head injury. If you look at his headers on goal. Before the head injury, he was uh, he had more heads on goal than anybody else in the Premier League. He's now down at twenty seventh. Now that's totally understandable. You can't blame him for that. Um, I don't even think it's necessarily an issue of courage. I think it's you know, playing with that. Yeah, you know, the the what do you call it? The um, the, the helmet thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of times when he sort of ripped it off yeah, after coming off. as if he feels he you know he 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 can't head the ball accurately anymore. Um, so, without without meaning in any way to have a go at him, they have they now lack the aerial threat he used to give them, and partly uh, wolves is crossing. They're not crossing as often as they were, and I, I don't know what's causing an the effect there. Whether they're not crossing as much because they don't have the aerial threat, or whether because meneth, uh hasn't been as effective in the air, they, they, they've stopped crossing as much. So uh, they did they did have the they were um, ninth in the list of most crosses per game, and they have dropped to seventeenth. So I. I completely get why they want a big bloke up front. Uh, and then when when the bloke is meant to be that gets injured straight away, you mm-hmm. have to take emergency measures. And I think if a choice is taking a punt on Diego Costa or bringing Andy Carroll, I, I, I know which one I'd go for. Mm-hmm. And it would, be, it would be the Costa option. Mm-hmm. It, it may work, it may not. I, I sort of think it's one of those things where look, if, it, if it hasn't worked in three games, forget it, go back to doing something else and hope that either they bring in um, somebody who's played more regularly in January, or that Kalidic is on the on the mend, and and he he can get back before the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I, I personally don't mind it. To so I think I think that maybe that's easier to say as, as sort of like a neutral. But I, he was he was box office when he was at Chelsea. He was someone that you wanted to watch whether he was going to completely bully a defence or he was going to fight every single player on the pitch. He, I, I do hope that's still the side that we get to see and just. On Jonathan saying, I hope he's still as angry. Since he left Chelsea in uh, 2017, he's actually got more yellow cards than he scored goals. So I, I, um, I suspect he'll probably, we'll probably still see that side to him. But yeah, he hasn't played a game for nine months. So it's going to take him a while to get sort of up to up to match fitness. But I think Wolves were just in such a difficult place, as Jonathan said, because Clydic obviously suffered that season in ending injury on his debut and the transfer window had shut. So they sort of were very limited in what they could do in that sense. Um, and I think it, it just will hopefully help reduce the burden on there's Maybe he does feel a sense of pressure, um, which isn't helping with his obvious and understandable lack of form. Before his head injury, he was averaging a goal every 203 minutes. Um, and since the head injury, that's gone up to every 522 minutes. So Wolves, the way they play up until the penalty box, they're probably one of the best sides in, in the league. But it's as soon as they get into the penalty area where they really sort of struggle. Um, and maybe they're sort of hoping that uh Ruben Neves can be this what Cesc Fabregas was to Diego Costa when they're at Chelsea together because that sort of partnership was incredible and Ruben Neves does have that sort of range of passing um in his locker so maybe we'll see that but yeah I I would be very surprised if we saw a very good Diego Costa I imagine we will get to the end of the season and Wolves will say yeah it didn't work out but um but I'm behind the decision to bring him back I think it would be good entertainment
0: because you're saying it's box office that's not what Wolves fans want they want someone to put the ball in the back of the net they've wanted a striker for so so long they must feel like they're absolutely jinxed in terms of strikers now with him and his picking up the bad injury he had they buy a new striker he picks up a bad injury straight away they spent a serious amount of money on fabio silva and that didn't really work and then at a time when they could probably do with him they've sent him out on loan to get his confidence back and now costa coming in at 33 I, i think he is you know, you talk. You think, Jonathan, about players who've come to the Premier League nearer the end, end of the career. You think of like Zlatan, for, for for example, and then obviously Cristiano Ronaldo last season. They, they're physical specimens, aren't they? They, they, they look after themselves, because of the age, Lewandowski's kind of the same. I don't get that vibe with Costa <laughs> at all. And I really think this is going to be tough for him to just come back in and play in the Premier League after nine months out. Yeah,
2: he's not going to be mobile. I think you can say that fairly clearly. Uh, I mean, he didn't score a huge number of goals at Mineiro either. You know, he got four goals in oh nine starts and six sub appearances. It, it shouldn't work. Yeah, logic says it shouldn't work. But
0: on the other hand, I, I, I sort of, I, I see the logic in, in rolling the dice. Um, yeah. Well, they, got, they had to do something, didn't they? It depends what money he's on, I guess. If, I don't imagine he's on the serious kind of wages he has been over the I years. I would
2: assume it's some kind of pay-per-play deal. Or, yeah,
0: Is his, uh, his Mendes his agent by any chance? I probably is now, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's got a chance, hasn't he? I don't, I don't know off the top of my head whether he is, but he's probably got a chance. And yeah, this has got to work for Wolves, really, because like Josh says, they they're very good until the penalty area. But Wolves could find themselves embroiled in a in a relegation battle. I like think if they don't sort out scoring goals, because they're very good defensively, but they're just you're not going to get anywhere unless you can put the ball in the back of the net. And one thing that was good about Wolves' this summer, Josh, is that they held on to Ruben Neves. Still hasn't managed to get that big move that he's, probably you know himself been looking for what is it that stopped that from happening
1: at times he has been not underwhelming but he hasn't I don't think he stood out an awful lot um over any of other Wolves' midfielders I think John Moutinho probably over the time has Moutinho's a class
0: act Moutinho's a class player
1: absolutely and I think so in that sense it's not surprising but if you told me five years ago when Wolves managed to sign Ruben Neves in the championship that he would be at the club five years on I would probably have laughed um but he has started this season really well. And I think what's been really sort of eye-catching for me, and as I said, maybe what they're hoping to get from Diego Costa is his range of passing this season. He, he No player in the Premier League is actually averaging more accurate long balls per game than Ruben Neves, which is including goalkeepers as well, which is is quite impressive. And it has been that range of passing to, sort of, to spread the play um, high and wide that has been really effective for Wolves, obviously, until they get in the area and they can't score. And he is also one of the top 10 central midfielders in the Premier League this season, in terms of who scored rating. He's in there with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne Martin Odegaard, uh, Rodri, Ilkay, Gundogan and Bernardo Silva, those sort of names. So he's in and around it. Uh, and I would be surprised if, I don't know, say Arsenal, Liverpool and United weren't linked with him again, as they always seem to be sort of at the end of the season. But yeah, it's a weird one. It's it's sort of like a... It hasn't been for a lack of trying either, I don't think. I, I It does seem like his side of the sort of Transfer have been sort of pushing, pushing for a move away, and I think he even said recently that um, he thought he was as good as gone this summer. But he's he it does he does seem to have got his head down and focused. And I do think he has those sort of attributes where fans do really love him. He's not just a talented player, but he does have the passion and the and the work rate. And since he's taken the captain's armband on, I think he's really sort of re- risen to that sort of challenge replacing Connor Cody and I think he's a he's a fan favourite at Wolves so I'm not sort of advocating for clubs like I said Tony to Manchester United earlier I'm not sort of advocating for the smaller clubs to lose their sort of best players but yeah it does seem a bit weird that he's still there Well defended Josh
0: got yourself out of the hole that you got yourself in at the start of the podcast Nebez is a but, you know he's a lovely footballer sorry Jonathan
2: Yeah you know, I think there's sort of a slightly strange category of player and I guess you could put something like James Ward-Prowse maybe, maybe Telemans in a similar boat where you look at them being really good for a mid-table team and you sort of think, oh, well, they'll, they're do a step up. But the problem is that by being so visible and so good at a, at a mid-table Premier League team, their price gets to such a point that the big clubs sort of think, well, that's a lot of money to spend for somebody who might not be able to make that leap. And so they end up going for somebody from abroad who might be half a price, but has played Champions League and you know they can do it at European level. And I, th- I think you, you do find that sort of player who you just sort of gets stuck on a mezzanine between mid-table and the top six. And, and the fact that they've, they've come to prominence in the Premier League means their price tag is so large that there's always a better option there. So
0: they end up never never quite moving on. Mm, I think Tillemans and Neves have suffered from the same problem as in why they haven't got their moves because undoubtedly the big six will have looked at those t- those two players. I think it's mobility. Yeah, possibly get around the pitch defensively. That great for it for a central mid, central midfielder. And most of his play with two central midfielders. Oh, I think it's possibly mobility that's holding those those two back.
1: It's, it's interesting though, because from Manchester United's perspective, I, I would have seen a more logical train of thought going from who they were linked with in midfield to then Nevers rather than going to Casemiro, for example. Yeah, um, but it's like about
0: mobility, I think.
1: Yeah, but I wouldn't say Casemiro is particularly from what we've seen of him so far. Defensively, he's looked really quite quite poor for United you know, when he's come on in that sort of defensive role. But um yeah, it's strange. I'm sure I'm sure maybe he maybe he'll just be at Wolves for a long time. But we'll see, Yeah.
0: yeah. Another defensive midfielder. Well another midfielder, Calvin Phillips. Lots of problems with the injury so far this season, Jonathan. But the Manchester City move, I've not been spoken about that much. What, what are your thoughts on it? You know, should should he have gone there? Should he want, have wanted to test himself? Probably yes. But is he ever going to be in their best 11? Probably not.
2: Yeah, I mean, at, at the minute, uh, yeah, it's difficult to tell because of the injury. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to know how much he would play, were he fully fit. But at the moment, he appears very clearly second fiddle to, to Rodri. And, and I, I think, you know, you... Calvin Phillips is almost in that bracket of players we've just been talking about like Ruben Nevers and like Uwe Tielemans and like James Ward-Prowse where when they do make the step up are they actually just going to be a backup are they just going to be a reserve in which case spending what was he 55 million something like that between is 45 it, and
0: 55 I think
2: is it is it worth spending that on, on a player who who is essentially a, a reserve but I mean I think he's uh, <clears throat> there's got to now be a doubt as to whether he'll he'll be a starter for England come the World Cup. I think if he's not playing club minutes, I mean, yeah, who knows? he knows. May, he, may, he may get in the squad this week and be brilliant in training, and have a couple of brilliant games. And and suddenly this discussion seems absurd. But I think Southgate prefers to play players who are playing regularly. And that is an area, well, certainly six months ago, an area where you'd say we were pretty well stocked with, with Declan Rice, with Jordan Henderson, with Jude Bellingham, with, with Ward Prowse even. Uh, Henderson hasn't started the season well and is now injured. Uh, Declan Rice hasn't started the season particularly well. Uh, Bellingham's playing regularly for Dortmund, so but he is a more attacking player. so if if the response to those poor nations league games in June is to go to a more solid system and go back to that back three with the two sitting players, then I, then I guess he does get in, but if he's not playing, that that does make you a bit anxious about that.
0: England mm-hmm. got problems in that area as well as well. Josh really, as Jonathan's just alluded to, you know, I think Conor Gallagher was perhaps coming through. He's not really. He, he's Has a more attacking player brother. though. He's, he's no, I know. No. Even more attacking than Bellingham. So you're right. You're playing that system with the two sitters, like England, like Southgate will probably want to. It's Declan Rice and one other, but probably the only two players I can think of that could play that are Henderson, who you know seems just be struggling to get through ninety minutes of games. At, at the moment and Calvin Phillips who's spent a lot of time injured as well I and can't think of any left field shall come in and play that
2: and there's, I don't think there's anybody else quite like him for his range and pace of forward passing I think that's mm. what Phillips gives you I and mean, I think that's why he works really well with Rice because Rice is somebody who, who's more inclined to get the ball and drive forward himself so him alongside yeah. Phillips, I think, works really nicely and so that goal against uh, Croatia the first game of the Euros Phillips's role in that was enormous with the pace at which he got the ball forward um, so yeah I really hope he does get minutes. He is fit because I think he's somebody who's very important to England. Yeah,
1: I, I sort of, I sort of alluded to it in our sort of pre-season show based all on Manchester City that I was a bit concerned for Phillips um, for his England spot because we see that there is an adaptation period for quite a lot yeah. of the Manchester City players under Guardiola, and, and like in the sh- in the short term, at least, in that long term, you would suspect that Phillips working under Guardiola for a length of time is only going to improve him as a footballer. So in that respect, England are, are going to benefit from that hugely. But in the short term, I, I didn't see him playing that much, to be honest, before the World Cup because of Rodri and the form that he would shown last season. And that's obviously sort of been true so far. Um, obviously, injuries haven't helped Phillips, who does seem to have this weird shoulder problem that keeps sort of resurfacing every now and then. Um, but he's one of the quite a few of England's regulars that have been struggling I sort of looked into the top 10 lowest rated England players of those that have been capped uh, for England and Calvin Phillips is the is the third lowest of all, in, all all those players but in that sort of bottom 10 you have Luke Shaw and um, Harry Maguire, Emil Smith-Rowe and Conor Gallagher and obviously part of that isn't is that they've not played that much but that in itself is the problem isn't it that they're not playing a lot of club football but yeah I, I, I suspect he would definitely go to Qatar because as Jonathan said, England's midfield doesn't suddenly doesn't look so strong anymore. Um, but there, I imagine there could well be a question of whether he he is in the right sort of shape to sort of start these these tournament games. A lot of worries for Gareth Southgate,
0: to be honest. I'm not feeling great about the World Cup from doing this podcast. Wolves v Man City then. Predictions, I'll do mine first because I think that's only fair. I'll go Wolves nil, Manchester City 2. Josh? I'm
1: going to go for 2 nil as well. Erling Haaland will probably score both the goals. Yep. And Jonathan? 3-1 to City.
0: 3-1 to City. Wolves are going to put the ball in the back of the net, which will delight their fan base. We're going to finish with the just-a-minute section, which is literally probably going to be about a minute because there only so few games this weekend. Josh, you're at first with a big one. Friday Night Lights, Aston Villa against Southampton. Come on, the Villa.
1: It feels like a lifetime ago that Villa drew one of Manchester City. So in that sense, it's a shame for Steven Gerrard that they haven't been able to sort of carry on with any sort of momentum um, Ashley Young will probably be the only change to the side that started that game. If It seems like Matty Cash is injured. He's been uh, left out of Poland's squad uh, because of the injury. Um, so that would probably mean that the likes of Buendia and Coutinho are left on the bench once again, which is entirely fair, I think, based on the way that uh, Villa played against City. Um, as for, for Southampton, uh, Livramento and Romeo Lavia, they're still unavailable. Um, but deadline day signing, Dua a Cha, I think I said that right, um, he'll be in the squad here uh, with uh, extra time to train. It's been a bit of a typical start to the season for Southampton. I think they had a really heavy defeat. Um, they've beaten Chelsea from behind, so they've done a good performance there. Then they've got a couple of draws against teams they would probably expect to beat. So neither side are really consistent at the moment. Um, so it, I guess it could go either way. Fixtures between the two at Villa Park, especially in recent years, have been very entertaining. I think last, um, let me see, is it the last, the last four games at Villa Park between the two have averaged over five goals a game. So Hopefully
0: another, another thriller here. I'm going to go for a 2 all draw. 1-1. 1-1. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Villa. Forest, Fulham for you, Jonathan.
2: Yeah, I mean, Forest three straight defeats after that. I promise, at least in terms of the results, if not necessarily performances. Uh, 11 conceded in those games. Uh, and OK, two of those goals were against Spurs and six against City, which maybe is what you'd expect. But I think the way they capitulated in that second half against Bournemouth really is a concern the fact they couldn't adjust to, to Bournemouth going to, to a back three and couldn't defend themselves against the the attacks from the wing backs um a loss to be made of all the players they've brought in they've already started with 19 players this season which for six games is is enormous and you just worry that they they won't be able to settle that down in time uh, and they'll already be in a difficult position by the time uh, Steve Cooper gets some sort of coherence there uh, Fulham have been much more impressive than last time we came up two wins two draws two defeats but those two defeats in the last two away games have been against Arsenal and Tottenham maybe games we wouldn't expect to get much out of and they played pretty well in, in both of those last season in the championship Fulham won this game 4-0 although Forest did win 1-0 at Craven Cottage um, but I think Fulham will have
1: too much this time I'm saying 2-1 to Fulham 2-0 to Fulham here Josh 2-1 to Fulham here I think 2-1. I sort of expected these two to sort of have the opposite starts to the season Um but yeah, Fulham
0: 2-1. Me too. I confidently went on Sky Sports News and said Forest would definitely stay up. And since then, I don't think they've won a game. So I'm having my usual effect on football. <laughs> Newcastle v Bournemouth for you, Josh.
1: One win in six isn't the sort of form that will get Newcastle into Europe this season. But they will hope that welcoming back the likes of Bruno Gamares and Alan St-Maximin to face Bournemouth on Saturday will will improve them. Alexander Isaac as well will hope to build on a good a debut good for Newcastle after he scored against Liverpool. Um, so you'd expect some improvements there if they can welcome back those two players. As for Bournemouth, Gary O'Neill's done well to save the ship. Um, I think it looks very bleak for Bournemouth after they lost 9-0 and then sacked Scott Parker. But he's followed that up with a draw against Wolves and a win over um, Nottingham Forest. I'm going to put a, maybe a bold shout out here. I think this by this time next year, I think Lloyd Kelly will have got a cap for England. I think he's really important to Bournemouth. And I think that I can see him moving on in the summer, again, advocating for For clubs to lose their lose their sort of best players. But yeah, I think he's one to watch out for in the future. Um these are the sorts of the games that Newcastle should sort of be winning without it without any sort of problem. So I'm gonna go for two nil home win.
0: One nil to Newcastle for me, Jonathan. Three nil to Newcastle. Three nil to Newcastle and Josh Wright hates non big six teams, wants to sell all their players (laughs) off. Absolutely disgusting on the podcast this week. We
2: should just have franchise, it should be
0: like the hundred. We should have like hundred man squads at half a dozen teams based in Manchester. Josh doesn't care for anyone but the but the top six. You think you think you wouldn't want them to join all the all the top six teams as well? Because obviously that would affect the team that you support. Manchester United yeah. aren't going to sign everyone, Josh. Stop yeah. it. Jonathan, Everton, West Ham to finish the pod. Yeah, two teams who've had disappointing starts
2: of the season, but both I think have shown signs of improvement recently. Everton began with two defeats, four draws in the last four games, including that draw against Liverpool. When they could easily have nicked it, as usual, they've got a long list of injuries: Townsend, Godfrey, Mina, Pickford, all out. Doubts over Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Dekuyte, and Holgate. Um, West Ham level on points with them, but below them on goal difference. Uh, they they beat Villa, if that counts as a as, a, as an achievement. Uh, have lost three times, and then they got a draw against Spurs, where they played pretty well. So the last two games have actually been a lot better. Um, as yeah, you know, they were unlucky to to lose at Chelsea. Uh, last time out with that, that VAR decision really cancelling out um, cornay's last-minute equaliser. A uh, and johnson out for them. There's doubts over Cresswell, Suchek and Corne. Last season, West Ham won twice against Everton, one in the goodison, 2-1 at London Stadium. Uh, but I think it might be tighter this time. I'm going to say
1: 1-1. I'm going to go for 2-1 to West Ham, and I'm going to say Anthony Gordon's going to Tottenham next summer. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, uh, Everton, Everton to lose 2-1.
0: I've got a clue what to predict for this one. I think Pickford being out is a big, big blow for Everton. But then West Ham have been poor so far this season. I'll go for a 2-2. I think. And Jonathan, less of the slander against against Aston Villa. West, yes, West Ham but Villa, but Villa have drawn with Manchester City since. So, you know, it looks, it looks a better result than it did at the, at the time. Now, that does us for this week's iteration of the Edge of the Box podcast. Don't forget to subscribe with your post notifications on so you know exactly when our next video is coming out. Thanks ever so much for watching. Thanks for Jonathan and Josh. bye